Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Before we get started with our episode today, I wanted to tell you that today, September 30th, is International Podcast Day. It is celebrated via pre-recorded and live broadcasts from all around the world. I have the honor of being a speaker via my pre-recorded broadcast. In it, I share the reasons why I feel so connected to the day, give more information about my mission for this podcast, and I explain the four main areas that are, my guests are focused at. And I also give a short summary on previous guests. A link to the website will be in the show notes. But now let's get to the main part of the episode. I am very happy to welcome Professor Dr. Eleonore Sui-Winkels to the Job Sharing and Beyond show today. Ellie teaches Industrial and Occupational Psychology at FOM in Germany. She has won lecturing awards in 2017 and 2020 and was nominated as Professor of the Year in the Unicom competition three times starting in 2016. Ellie has a diploma in psychology and a PhD in neuroscience. She is also a certified systemic management coach and has worked in IT consulting and strategy with Ascension. Her passion is to develop people and to make them realize what they are able to accomplish. She uses her diverse background to teach students, leaders and professors through multididactic methods. In our conversation today, we touch on many of the four main aspects of my podcast conversations to create a more diverse workforce and thus lead to gender equality faster. Flexible working, fathers and care, returning professionals and transferable business skills from unpaid care work. For example, Ellie talks about how job sharing can happen in unusual ways. She also shares using another flexible working method, asynchronous working. More and more business leaders are interested in reducing secret parenting. Equally, sharing unpaid care work will help create more role models for their employees. Ellie's method of sharing and talking about her life work balance with her students follows the same line and it also teaches them great life skills. Additionally, Ellie's diverse academic and professional background enables her to provide the students with scientific and psychological information about being a parent. Through her own experience, Ellie also spoke about the benefits for organizations about hiring a Quereinsteiger, someone with a non-linear background. Many returners often fall into this general category, so that was very insightful to hear. Please enjoy the wonderful conversation I had with Professor Ellie. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Well, it is really nice to have you here today. Now, 
because we have a lot of listeners from all over the world, could you tell people where you're calling in from and if there is any type of um, food or site in your area that you could tell our listeners about? Oh, yeah, that's my pleasure. Actually, um, I, don't, I don't think that the site is so much touristy, but I love going back from anywhere to Dusseldorf. So flying back and um, watching from the airplane, the river Rhine is something that is really associated for me with, with a feeling of coming home. And the food that I love is um, actually um, currywurst. So I love currywurst and hummus. I'm there without it. <laughs> always, always ate it. And uh, there's great currywurst in Berlin and in Bochum, in Düsseldorf, everywhere, in Oberhausen. So it's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, Ellie, you're a professor of industrial and occupational psychology at FOM, University of Applied Sciences for Economics and Management. But um, your path to your current position was rather unusual. Could you tell our listeners about that, please? Yes. Um, yeah, I can share my story. Um, actually, I always wanted to become a professor. So I always was interested in understanding the brain, the human brain as a black box. And I studied psychology because I thought that that was the best means to understand the brain. But still I felt that it wasn't enough to understand the brain as such, just from the psychological perspective. So I then decided mm -hmm. to um, pursue a PhD and I did a PhD in neuroscience um, also nearby, so in Bochum, International Graduate School of Neuroscience, which was really quite mind-blowing because it was an interdisciplinary approach. We had to, um, over, over the course of a year, we had to take multiple exams on the level of other masters in chemistry and physics and IT and informatics and, and everything. And it was like, totally overwhelming because I didn't study all these others, but I had to, mm -hmm. listen, to, to learn on the level like them. And um, we, the whole, the whole batch was, the whole class was um, mixed up from all over the world, people from all over the world, but also mixed up from all other disciplines. And uh, learning from them and understanding where they're coming from culturally, but also from their way of thinking helped me to understand that the brain is such, such a multifaceted thing, which is continu continuously fed by so many experiences that make it, make it, make it hard to understand because the brain is, is ever-changing. And um, while I was loving research and I was loving um, also lecturing, I then decided to leave that path because I was finishing, like many of my students now, just way into the crisis. So the financial crisis 2008 was hitting the market. And um, there were many obstacles that my then boyfriend, now husband, had to tackle. So I thought that um, with, with the path that I was pursuing, it wasn't 
it was it wouldn't have been easy to financially be on independent to be there for my partner so what we did then was to say okay um, maybe i can leave academia and um, the, the 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 plan was always maybe i can come back in someday someday and um, that day came later like 10 years later <laughs> so because <laughs> i had so much fun in the in the industry I yeah. was so happy to enter a job market in IT, which was also then much better than the other markets like now. So mm -hmm. IT was then already a growing market and I was able to um, transfer the skills that I had, which was, I, I, I was a little bit accomplished in programming my own experience so for an, for a psychologist that was an accomplishment from an it it people's perspective it wasn't but it was enough to it was enough to convince the, the hiring manager <laughs> to say that i can i can work something like um in it and then maybe i wouldn't be a developer but i could be the translator i could be translating the things that a developer would, would be doing to make people in sales or whatever in marketing understand why the program is needed and what they should be doing with the new features of a program. So I was applying for a job of a technical translator and I then got a job as an IT analyst. IT analyst um, was going a bit further into the code so I had to learn, I had to reskill uh, or upskill, say, mm -hmm. upskill learning SQL and stuff like that. And I did, in, because I was a logically thinking person at that time already, mm -hmm. I actually did like it in relational databases to look things up, to change anything. So it was, it was a nice job. And um, from then, uh, from there, I started to see some other possibilities for me because that was obviously not the highest job that I was working at or the highest level, but I could do so many other things as well. So I tried to um, pursue then project management or also um, working across the whole um, product lifecycle, software lifecycle. So it became a relief manager, program manager, and then. So it was it was a nice thing because um, all throughout the, the life cycle of the software mm -hmm. implementation, you have always conflicts. People do not always say yay when a new software is implemented. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, okay, so why do we have that? Uh, the other one was already working and I don't want to learn it. And if that software is coming, will I lose my job? Mm -hmm. All these anxieties were something, were, were things that I could tackle because I was a psychologist. So the further down the road, uh, the more important became my psychological knowledge. Even uh -huh. though I wasn't working as a psychologist, I mean, obviously I wasn't telling them to look up to on the couch and say, yes, what is your problem? But um, I, was, um, I was helping them using my psychological skills and um by that by that time i felt that maybe there was still this this longing for understanding the brain or at least working in that environment again 
So by then, I already changed the employer. I was working um, at Accenture. And in that company, it was also very demanding and challenging, but they also allowed me to work as a lecturer. So not, it was more than job sharing because I did a 100% job, so full FTE. Right. But still, I managed to give lectures on Friday evenings and Saturdays. So wow. they said, well, if you want it, uh, as long as you get your job done, you can do whatever you want in your free time. And that was, um, I, I give credit to that. Um, the Accenture always said that uh, whatever we cannot offer you, you should also satisfy elsewhere. And as long as you get your job done, that's fine. And that's something that I think an employer should do. Mm -hmm. So I did that and it actually was really fun. While I'm, I do not do any research anymore today. Mm -hmm. I just do lecturing, but it's the most uh, fulfilling, purposeful job I ever had, so to speak. It's really, it's really something I have always been in my job in the IT world. I've always been a great people developer. I'm a people person. I love to solve conflicts. I love to grow my people. So being a lecturer is something that really is just that 100%. So every semester I get new students and uh, it's uh, when, when, when I see them in their exams really excelling at what they do, I always tell them just, you have to, you know, you have to strike me with my own weapons. I teach you, I teach you, I tell you everything I know and I want you to perform on eye level. And most of my students, they, they really are performing that way so that I am proud of them. And that's something that I've always um, cherished in my work. So um, I'm, I'm a professor now, also teaching, lecturing about the brain. I'm not researching anymore. So it's not just coming, it's not coming back, but it's the, the idea of growing other people to become or to master this, the, the studies is something that I've, um, yeah, it came back. So it's a, it's a full circle and, 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 it, and I'm really, I'm really, or it's more like a spiral. It's not like a circle, it's more like a spiral because it's really um, in 3D. So in X, Y, and Z axis, it's a bit different on the Z axis, but still it's, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy at the moment. And I'm 40, so it's, it's like, who, who could say that at the age of 40 to be happy in the jobs? And I think that, um, like I said earlier, it's, it's more than job sharing or because it was a little bit more than a job, but, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, um, it's more like a human does have more to offer than one employer maybe can take. And if the employer accepts that, acknowledges that, and also enables the other to, to do something else, the, the employee is happier. And the same is true also for if you offer a 100% job and someone is only willing to give 70 or 50% just because of the life circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you allow that, then that person is also happy and is giving more than just the 50% that they are committed to. So as, a, and as an employer, you should always ask the, 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 the employee, 
are there any restrictions that you have that hold you back because when we can take out when we can tackle those obstacles then you probably will be a happy and also a more engaged and committed employee and that is something probably an employer would want right so yeah. um, for me job sharing i did I, I always shared my jobs i shared them as a consultant i mean we're many <laughs> it's not just one consultant so we're in yeah we're exchangeable um but also in in my lectures i'm also exchangeable obviously everyone thinks you are unique but obviously you're not and um i for example have an uh, i have an informal agreement with two of my colleagues that if they they are having time trouble because of their kids or whatever i mean mm -hmm. you don't have to have kids to have trouble with the timing um i can help out and the same agreement goes the other way as well so that they can help out because at the end of the day i don't want the student to to be miserable to, to be to miss out on a lecture just because i can't so um it's 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 a work ethic but i think that mm -hmm. you can share a job and be efficient and also be really effective in that you just have to work around and, and find some agreements that work out for all of the parties so ellie because of your own background as you have what one would say maybe and not a linear um, resume but you've done so many different things do you have an example or could you tell us have there been um times where that really led to the benefit of your um you know professional situation where you were using all of that knowledge and your experiences in a you know way that maybe somebody who had a more linear um approach might not have had the opportunity to do mm -hmm. that's an interesting question and uh when I think about it, it was probably when I started in IT back then when I was at Ivy Zoot, um, most, of the, most of the people in my team were younger than me and also had an IT background. And I felt like I'm at the wrong place. I mean, obviously, I'm older. I'm, I'm not that um, sophisticated in, in coding and everything. So obviously i had some some special tasks which was great for me and i could definitely um live up to the expectations there but i also said that i don't want to only rely on the special tasks i have to also do the job done and do the job the way maybe it's expected to be and um i teamed up then i i called in a buddy because he was really um, helpful in that sense that and, and that's something also you have to network you can't do the job alone you have to team up with somebody who maybe has a different background and obviously the most different background was the very homogeneous IT background which I didn't have and I asked my colleague Simon whether he could help me out on um, understanding much better the the architecture and everything because that was something that i wasn't able to just do in a certificate or so i mean it's obviously too far down um, in the code and he said yeah i can help you and um i actually it's great maybe we can help each other out so there was something um where he actually always had trouble with was 
writing emails, writing emails to leadership. When he said something or when he wrote something, it was always the way that everything could have been misinterpreted to his, I mean, not in his favor, so to mm -hmm. speak. So he said that either I don't write it or I write it and it's not good. So <laughs> maybe, you can, maybe you can write my names and I can help you out on the coding. And that was really a fruitful teamwork mm -hmm. because I learned so much on that way. I helped him with something that he didn't understand and he wasn't skillful enough. So that was for the employer much to the to the benefit. So both we all benefited from that. Thank you so much. That is really, really insightful. Thank you. Your um, university, at least pro, um, sorry, pre-COVID, um, offered women events um, where you have spoken about work-life balance and also your university collaborates with businesses. So can you speak a little bit um, about that? Yeah, I can, I can talk about it. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, I participated in the panel for my university uh, to mm -hmm. make other women aware that they can pursue a professorship and have kids because um, it's an applied university. So we're not research focused as right. much as a university while we also have research a fully research uh, position. So it's, it's, um, there, is a, there is a big mix of that. But on the other hand, most of us lecturers actually are just doing the lectures. And like I said, it's a purposeful thing. So it's, it's not just, it's just not, not research. And I think that research is a different thing because research is also very time consuming and you, always, you don't know how the, how the samples go and the data it looks like and everything. So it's very less tangible, very, very less controllable. So I think that's a different, that's a different topic. Mm -hmm. But as for lecturing, it's really controllable. Like um, your previous guest, Beatrice also said, it's really um, academia in the sense of lecturing. It's very controllable because you the planning, you just do it and everything else will, will fall into place. So you can, I can do some extra stuff if I want. Um, I didn't do as much extra stuff as mm -hmm. I thought because I became a mother of two and um, and that was also a very uh, special circumstance because as I alluded earlier to is that um, I became I fell pregnant uh, when I was still a consultant and uh, I also was already an, a lecturer at the FOM. So at that time um, the decision mm -hmm. was really easy because the form always asked me to, if I want to be appointed as a professor and I said, no, because I love my job the way it is. And it's just an extra thing, the icing on the cake that I can do some lectures. But I did love the 100% the job in the, in the consulting industry. But obviously the same reasons that Beatrice had mm -hmm. was the, that during the pregnancy, I felt that it's probably the best idea to sort of pause consultancy and um, become a professor. So this is the first outtake. So I think that when you become a mother, most people think that you should leave, go into the maternal leave 
and then hope at some point of time that you can go back into the same position. Uh, I didn't do, I didn't expect it and I didn't want it because I said, why should I, why should I aim for less or the same? In the academia, I have much more to, mm -hmm. to I can, I can, I can reach for, for a bigger goal. I can become a professor. So though I don't, I don't think that I, I haven't seen another person who did this, but I obviously I'm very open to that. Um, now the university also said, well, if you, if you are convinced you can do this, we will appoint you and we will trust you that you will get the job done. And the job was then much more responsibility than before as a pure lecturer. So a, a professor has to be more, uh, has to have, mm -hmm. has, have, um, has more responsibility. So I was uh, appointed and it was a huge, steep, deep dive, really. I, it was, I was working more than I thought. I was um, actually working until two o'clock in the morning so that I can get my lectures ready at eight o'clock, 30, oh, wow. 8.30. And with a small baby, it was really a tough time because I also started um, when she became eight weeks. So I breastfed her until she was 13 months. So it was a really tough ride. And I had to do some some breast pumping and everything. And uh, at that time, my husband and my parents sometimes brought my daughter to the university. And I um, I had an agreement with the university that my breaks would be longer than just thirty minutes because leaving the lecture, <laughs> going to the car, breastfeeding my kid, and going back and breastfeeding the kid means that the kid drinks. From two breaths, obviously. So that's a natural thing, and it's not so controllable. So I said, 30 minutes is not working out. Right. So I told my students, you know what? I have to breastfeed my kid, and uh, we'll see you then in like an hour or so. Yeah? So if you come earlier in, or if I'm late, then please uh, start with those tasks. I have already prepared them, so you can work. You can work in groups or whatever. I'll be back as soon as I can. And for them, it was really, they, they didn't know how to handle that because um, there were no other mothers, imminent mothers, working moms like that. And um, I always said, that, you know what, it, we can talk about it because it's like, uh, it's the, the nervous system, the endocrine nervous system, we can talk about the hormones and um, it's actually, it, it, I can tell you on the slide, or I can tell you what it is to be stressed and not that the hormones are not working the way, so the, the milk is not coming. So um, I said, I'm, I'm sharing something with you that you probably will never ever hear from other parents because other mothers won't won't share that because they wouldn't see a reason for that. But you have now the slight chair, the, the slight chance to the rare chance to see this and sort of like witness this. So it, it's like um, I think that, right. that that those students who had this experience with me and I had two kids at the same time, uh, not the same time, but three years later. Um, I think those those students really um, had lasting impressions besides of those lecture things that 
mostly these users do not know anymore after a couple of years. But I think those are the things that um, more, are more like um, between the lines. Those between the lines information or learnings, I think are much more important in my lectures than the lecture itself. Yeah, it's, it's life lessons. So one day when they themselves become a parent, they will remember and will also, you know, remember from a care work point of view, how much effort it takes. And I think they have a much more realistic approach. Absolutely. And also, you know, they realize that it takes a team ideally to make that all happen so i think it's it's really amazing what a role model you've been to show to them what reality really is and it's sort of like as you said instead of a theoretical approach they had a chance to see in practice what work-life balance really means and so i'm sure that you know years from now they will look back and say wow that was very brave of you to share with them and to also teach them that really valuable lesson. So what it's, you know, what, what reality is like, because I think often people, when they hear, oh, you, you know, having a child is going to change your life, pretty much everybody before they have a child, they say, oh yeah, but how hard can it truly be? It's like, you know, in the beginning, they just sleep a little, you change some diapers and you feed them, right? I think, like, I think everybody before they have their own kids has that completely, I don't know, like an underestimation of the time and the lack of sleep. And then to your point earlier, to the sort of, you know, hormonal changes in everything and how that impacts, yeah. So no, I, I'm very appreciative that you, um, you know, have given your students a very valuable life um, skills and lessons really. And um, now, so you had mentioned earlier that you have also, um, you know, you said you provide a opportunity between um, your colleagues that say if somebody can't, um, you know, do the job because they might be sick or, or there's something that you could jump in and vice versa. Um, I also read that you give your students sometimes an opportunity to participate and be sort of a, a junior lecture, which to me, again, was a form of job sharing or it gives them some additional experience, which I thought was awesome. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, one of the one of those great opportunities uh, that I gladly then grant to one of my best students. So in that case, it was Laura Bellwinkel, who was really impressive because um, well, she, was, she fell pregnant with almost the same time period when I was pregnant. It was my first, I was her first kid and my second. And uh, we were really close in the ways of or in the values that it must be working so and i said yes it's, it will be working and she was really impressive in how she managed uh, her studies and uh, i also from the sidelines always saw how she was um, helping other students to understand things and explaining them the way that i thought that was really that i mean she was really 
already far or mature in explaining things. So I thought that maybe she was, she's a talent in, in, in lecturing, mm -hmm. definitely a talent. And um, then every year or every semester, I get some um, subjects to plan or, or modules um, or get offered to lecture those modules. And I was uh, already planned um, ahead of my or over my capacities. So I said, I can't do this. And uh, obviously someone else has to do it. And the uh, university said, well, we have a problem here because we don't find anyone. So could you please say, maybe you can do some overtime. And I said, well, you know what? Uh, it, it, um, I chose this job to not do overtime. So uh, obviously if I want to work 100%, then I would be working somewhere else. So I just want my the, the 60, 70% I was committed to, and I will do that perfectly, but I don't want to do much more. So I said, but you know what I can, what I can offer is to uh, ask one of my students, maybe she wants to pick up this, this chance and uh, it's a growth opportunity for her and I can, I can guide her, I can supervise her. So what we actually did was that she had 16 appointments of the hours or so. And um, of those, I had the, at, the, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, a lecture with her together. So instead of 16, I had only three hours at the appointments. And she, uh, she managed all, her, all the lectures all by herself. We always, after one lecture, we would call and discuss how it went. And I could, um, I could coach her and tell her what she could do and everything else. But I have to say that she was really independent and running. She hit the ground running, really. Uh, if, I mean, I'm a people person. I know where talent is. I, I, I see that. And, and she didn't disappoint me. She even exceeded my expectations. So it was the best decision I did. Um, it's, it's, uh, we also have a contract for that. So I'm not the first person to do this at the university. But I'm, I'm a fan of that. Mm -hmm. So every now and then when I see a student and it fits, then I try to, to offer that. And uh, because I think that it's, it's the biggest appreciation you can give to, you know, um, if you trust someone in the early years, the, that, that person will grow. That person will be confident in, and that will pay forward into their their ways and um, I think that's it's a great thing to offer that it's it, it truly is job sharing because I had my name on, on it um, but still she was the one executing mm -hmm. he gained a lot of experience and I was able to fulfill some obligations which were not truly mine but obviously I'm a team player mm -hmm. so I always try to to find a way to fix the things and um, I think that was um, at that time a really great experience. Yeah, and so this is what I say that um, job sharing is something it can help uh, to, you know, um, to grow people into the talent pipeline and then get that person activated 100% maybe when she's ready or he's ready. The next one was a male. But I thought she, she, Laura was really uh, truly unique. I, I think to me, this is such an awesome example of 
how you know a situation can evolve into something for you know i'm sure that student initially hadn't anticipated that she or he then um would become a lecturer but to gain that experience and then also i think for the other students to see that if yes. one applies oneself that that can happen so i think it it served so many different purposes and to your point that for that individual person or student many years from now to think about the trust and confidence you have given them to say yes i believe in you you can do that so i think that that is really really awesome a lot of the times i've been reading about um companies and especially hr departments struggling on how to help um, employees who have children or are looking after elderly um, parents and at the same time working how to really fit it all under you know one hood and and like to make it all happen so do you have some advice from a like a, a flexible working perspective my own experience but i also could draw on the experience that i had when i was an employee with our mm -hmm. kids so the most recent one is that when i had this um lecturing duties obviously at daytime but also at the weekend and at the evenings mm -hmm. i didn't have so much trouble with lecturing during the lockdown the COVID 19 lockdown um i didn't have trouble lecturing in the evenings or in the week on the weekends however i had two classes also at the daytime and that was really heartbreaking for me to see my kids being with me at home but not really attended to the way i wanted and i think also not because why i wanted it as a mom but also the way they needed the attendance i mean it was really hard to cater all the needs of my kids and at the same time obviously of my students who happened to be in the first semester of their studies so they also didn't know how to study. They have me in their first lecture. And then after the second lecture, I think the lockdown was happening. So we obviously had um, multiple situations along the course of the half semester that, where I said that it's not working. I, either, I, either I give up, give up or I try something new. And what wasn't working was that I tried to be in synchrony with them in um, webinar sessions and lecturing with them just like that like we do now and this is something we do live or we record but we have to be in synchrony here so but um it, it's it, it's the, the wrong timing for my kids and so i thought well how about if i just record my lectures the way i wanted so what i did then to record that in the evenings and to play it or to have let my students stream it on demand. That way they said, you know what, it's even better. Not that I don't like you in person, but the thing is that if I don't understand it, I can just pause and then rewind it. So it actually helps me and cater me. And um, another student says, you know what, it's great because sometimes you talk so slowly and I can just uh, do the, um, mm -hmm. the speed one and a half. So then I can speed up and I'm faster. I said, you know what? I have some open 
class. You can come in, check in, ask your questions. I'll be happy to ask the questions and everyone can queue in and get your questions answered. Um, so you can all work in your own pace. You can study at your own pace. I'll be there for you just one hour a day, not three hours a day. Sometimes I have three lectures that would be like nine hours a day. So that was way too much for the kids. So sometimes, um, especially on those days, I had only one hour in the morning, one hour in the midday, and one in the afternoon. And that was perfect because the later ones could be catered by my husband. So he could have the kids in the mornings. And But uh, as I alluded earlier to you, that were also um, my previous ex um, experience being an employee without kids, is that um, I'm an early bird. So this is really something that um, caters my needs to be up really early. And I don't necessarily mm -hmm. have to um, work in the evenings. Nowadays, I work in the evenings, but I still I'm I prefer working at eight o'clock or even earlier. So um, at one of my former employers, um, Aldi Zuch, it was really great to see that um, I was always working internationally. I was always working globally. So I was assigned to Australia because Australia's counterparts, Australian counterparts in the companies were said to be um, difficult. And they said, well, you are a psychologist, you can deal with that. And I said, okay, I can deal with that maybe, or let's see. And it was, it was the greatest, um, it was also a learning path for both of the counterparts and me. It was really a happy, um, it was really a happy and also um, trusting relationship that grew from a difficult path, I must say. But uh, the good thing is that um, when you have such a relationship, you have to talk with people. With the people. I mean, you can't just play the balls back and forth via the um, what was it then uh, SharePoint. Okay, you can't just just you can't just check in your results and say here, go ahead, have a look. You have to talk about this. And uh, if you if you think of Australia and Germany, then obviously mm -hmm. you have sometimes thirteen hours on um, time distance. So uh, what we did was that I. I'm an early, as an early bird, woke up very early, started at 6.30 or so, so that until nine o'clock, we had a lot of time, a lot of time to talk about the things. And then every one of us mm -hmm. had a lot of time to sleep or to work on those problems and then go back the next day. So we were working anti-cyclic. And after some, after overcoming the obstacles that we obviously had because the was per the person mm -hmm. was told to be difficult we were actually really working well we were working we were much more efficient and effective than the other pairs i mean it's not pairing but it's it's more like teams like the australian team and the international team so it's the overview but the, the i was one of the interface partners and working with someone in Australia helped me to mm -hmm. cater my needs so I could start my job early and I was finished at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and it served it served your needs. It helped the organization to have somebody who was willing to be up early. So I, I think that is, you know, 
that's a really, really good, um, you know, message. It's like, you know, flexibility, however it fits, you know, employees or, um, you know, the organization that it, in the end, it makes everybody happy. Yeah. Exactly. But this is, this being said, you have to know yourself. Right. And if that is one of the values that you say, you want to be an early bird and you don't want to start at nine o'clock because nine o'clock is like for me three years, three, three hours too late. Yeah. So I'm already awake. So if you want to do this, then, then you have to look for opportunities that offer that because you cannot, I mean, if, if my husband and his company would say, you know, I'll start at six and you can come in at nine and I'm walking out of the door at three o'clock. Um, he would say, you know what, uh, this is not how the customers approach us. You have to be there where the customer, when the customers are and not whenever you want. Right. So if you have local customers, you have to adhere to the times, obviously. But if you have international customers or international partners you work with, that's why you should always think, what do I need? What can I offer? What is important for me? And then you look for the right employer. Not every one of the employers is the most suitable for you. And it's your job to look for the right employer. Well, I, I honestly, I wish, you know, I would have had you as a professor when I was at university because I really feel you are teaching the students so much more than quote unquote, just the um, academic material. They get so many life lessons, you know, with all the material they are learning that they will look back and think, this is very progressive what Professor Ali did way back when, you know, so that's, that's really, really, you know, amazing. And now how can people reach you, Ali? Well, they can reach me via LinkedIn or via my website, obviously. So I do trainings um, for coachings uh, for groups of people. I think that at the moment, there are a lot of um, employers trying to um, sort of, so to speak, um, prune. So to, to see which of the employees are maybe not so much in demand mm -hmm. with their skills so um employers could reach out to me to talk about reskilling and the attitude about reskilling something like that and i think that's the most um the most urgent thing i think um, if, if single uh, if individuals come and want to reach me about coaching that's also fine i don't have that much time at the moment obviously because of things that i already alluded to but i do from time to time also um, individual coaches. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ali, for being on my show today. I learned so much and it was really, really um, fascinating to hear your story and how you use your job as a professor to teach the, your students so much more than just the academic material. So thank you so much. Well, I'm honored, Karen. I mean, uh, as I said before, we were recording. The, the, I mean, the guests you already invited were, were really progressive. They were progressive. I feel that I am at the moment just doing what my parents have enabled me to do. So I was born to feminist parents. 
Mm-hmm. My dad is a feminist. My mom is a feminist. She was always working. They have both become medical doctors. So um, they, my dad actually could have been, could be a guest on your show uh, because he was um, home alone dad for a couple of years. So it was really, oh, wow. yeah, that's why I, I, what I am accomplishing is actually not that much when I look at my parents, what they have accomplished. So I'm honored to be on your show. And I will definitely tune in in your next shows as well. Thank you. And I would love to have you come back maybe in a year or so and to hear what is going on and how your lectures are and everything. That would be really, really awesome. Thanks. And you are following me on LinkedIn. So you'll find out what I'm up to and what I'm doing and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for following me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Professor Ellie. I very much appreciated hearing about Ellie's vast and broad educational background. It is so beneficial for her students how she is using this together with her professional experience to teach them not simply academic material, but also important life skills and practical applications. I was very honored that Ellie shared so authentically her work-life balance and the struggles and innovative solutions during COVID-19. Her other examples of flexible working, like an unusual form of job sharing, as well as more asynchronous working across time zones, really demonstrated how more diverse a workforce can be if flexible working can be implemented. If you would like to learn more details about this episode and others, previous episodes, please visit our website, which is emilyspath.ca, which is E-M-I-L-Y-S-P-A-T-H dot C-A. Also, in honor of International Podcast Day, I will be publishing the inaugural Emily's Path Consulting EPC's newsletter today. In it, you will find interesting research that I have found, updates on previous guests, and an additional Q&A interview. I will also provide some teasers about upcoming podcast guests. If you would like to sign up for it, please go to Emily's Path Consulting website, which again is emilyspath.ca. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.